Welcome back to another episode of The Numbers Don't Lie, where we take a look at the numbers behind the electioneering and put them back where they belong, front and center. Um, the format today is going to be a little bit different. We're doing things directly from The Rock, which is the results operations center for That's the right. for the uh, for the IEC. And I'm sitting here again with um, our resident data analyst, uh, Paul Berkowitz. Um, at the time of recording, which is about 3 o'clock on Thursday, the 9th of, uh, what is this, May? We're in um, May. Uh, I think we've counted about forty-five percent or so of the of the of the votes. I don't know if you. Would oh, that's a very important number. We must go straight away because I also confused. I did the same thing because we were in the same boat. I confused votes with voting districts. So what's happened is we've counted forty-five percent of the voting districts, but because the smaller voting districts report first, it's a much smaller percentage of the overall vote. It's actually closer to 20-25%. The bigger voting districts and wards with a lot more votes will report later because they took longer to count and they took longer to sign off on. So you're right. We're almost halfway through the voting districts, but we're only about a quarter of the way through the votes. Okay, because I had I had a number of questions lined up based on the numbers I'm seeing on the board here. Does, would you consider those... Um those numbers still somewhat representative. Yes, and um, we can talk in a, a little bit about the CSIR, the Center for Scientific and Industrial Research. Their model, the the same model they've run since 1999, whereby they extrapolate from the very small percentage of the votes that are in. Me, uh, in practical terms, when 10% of the vote is in, and we're way past that mark, they're normally able to predict with pretty good accuracy what the final results will look like nationally and provincially. These results that we're looking at now themselves may not be representative, but the way the CSIR's model works, they're able to give a forecast that is quite representative. So let's dig into some of those numbers then. One one surprising uh, result that's up on the board right now is the Freedom Front Plus, kind of coming coming out not quite literally guns blazing, we don't want to see that. But we don't want to see that. But uh, they're coming out very strongly. Very strongly. In fact, at this point, nationally, they're looking at to be the, the country's fourth largest party. I don't know. That is, I think, you're quite right, Scott. I think that's the biggest upset or the biggest surprise. We did talk about this trend. We we did an article about it and we did a podcast. You saw we, it coming, the rise of the rice. We we saw the potential um, for this trend, but the, the, the magnitude of the trend is really, I think, has blown all of us out of the water. I mean, we said, put in context, the Freedom Front Plus for the last three, four elections has been between three quarters of 1% and 1% of the vote. Or to be more accurate, actually between 0.8 and 0.9 or 0.95 percent in any respect they've been they've been well comfortably below one percent of the total share now they're on track to get almost three percent to get uh, about 2.7 2.8 so they're almost tripling the vote so when we talked about this trend we were like maybe they will 
break the one percent threshold, maybe they'll get one and a quarter percent of the vote. And in seats, maybe they'll go from three, four seats out of four hundred to five seats. They're looking at twelve, thirteen, fourteen seats, Scott. Yeah, a significant number, especially in the you know for the National Assembly. But another another related question, which will lead on to my next one, would be the Good Party. First oh. year, first year out, yes. also making a pretty good splash, um, especially in the Western Cape. But surprisingly, I, I noticed in the the Northern Cape as well. Um, yes, I know it's a new party, but there's two questions attached to that. One is it going to be? Are we? Do you, maybe you're not the right person to ask this question. I want to ask whether are we seeing another cope scenario? And secondly, given the the success in this elections as the freedom as 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 far as the Freedom Front Plus goes, and good on top of that, they're really digging into DA DA territory. That's true, but. If we backtrack one or two elections, and, and COPE is a good example that you cite, but also the ID, the Independent Democrats, because before DeLille formed good and before she was left the DA and before she joined the DA, she headed up the, the Independent Democrats, and that party did pretty well in the Western Cape and the Northern Cape. It's partly the appeal, I guess, on terms of language and um, for want of a better word, because remember, this is a sensitive topic, uh, ethnicity or demographics. Uh, Patricia DeLille, um, whether she was with the ID or now with, with Good, has appealed to predominantly t- to colored voters in the Western Cape and the Northern Cape. And Cope also had similar constituency, not so much based on ethnicity, but based on the infrastructure and the structures that the the COPE leadership took out of the ANC when they left, COPE was also quite strong in the Northern Cape and the Western Cape. So you're right. It's it's the, These parties are playing in areas where the DA has been strong or where the DA wants to get stronger and grow bigger. Okay. Um, we're going to cut into some... Uh some analysts from our analysts from the Tesla Black Store. We'll be back in a second. And we're here with uh, Kanita Hunter, one of the uh, political analysts and uh, uh, reporters at the Tesla Black Star Group, and also one of the one of the team and uh, sometimes anchor of the um, Sunday Times Politics Weekly, another podcast we do here under the group. Um, she's going to tell us a little more about what she's seen here at the at the at the Rock. Um, Kanita, so the the opening bit would be. You know, the surprising but maybe not surprising uh, growth of Freedom Front Plus. Absolutely, and they're attributing it at the moment to the their position on the land question because they've been opposed to it. They've been vehemently opposed to the changing of the constitution and they say that the growth that they've received now, obviously it's a far-right party, um, traditionally Afrikaner party, and now they're saying they're getting support from many uh, you know, coloured voters. Um, and so that's quite interesting because even if you see in, in the different provinces that they, they, they have um, a, a relatively growing constituency, they at 50% of the votes counted, they already have more more votes than they had cumulatively in uh, the 2014 elections. I mean, I suppose what's 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 interesting if you look behind the details, it's like they're now suddenly the fourth largest. Well, so far in counting, they're now the fourth largest party in the country. Yeah, and so they previously had four seats in parliament. So obviously, they would want to increase um, those votes. Although they admit that the votes that are yet to come in is more rural votes that are yet to come in, so that may not, uh, you know, further propel them. But I do think that they're quite excited about it. And also, it was interesting to see the ANC's response to the Freedom Front Plus's growth, saying that having 
more of them in parliament or more of the representatives in parliament will not affect uh, the vote on the expro- uh, amending the constitution to allow for expropriation of land without compensation. And uh, what about Patricia DeLille's new party, the Good Party, doing surprisingly well? Um, but is this a, a new COPE situation or do you see some sustainability here? I think that uh, the rise, or well, the votes that go, that Good got um, has to be seen in the context of the DA kind of stagnating a little bit. Um, the DA is not doing nearly as good as they as they thought they would, and that could be contribute. You know, many factors can con- could have contributed to that. One of which being Patricia Delille for, forming her own party. So it it, it looks oh, they all look almost set to have at least one seat in Parliament, and this is only at 50 percent. So they're more likely to get, uh, you know, more seats in Parliament and be part of that sort of pool of opposition parties that are below the, the big three. And in terms of the um, the new capitalist party, I mean, is that is this the case of? Um you know, social media activity or excitement around them or, or thinking about them as such not really turning into votes. Yeah, but that was the case with many of these parties contesting elections. There were 48 of them. The, the capitalists, the purple cow, they, uh, you know, t- did not get nearly, um, you know, not even 10,000, is it, at the moment, of, of, of votes. Um, and that, that also is an indication that social media activity and trending in social media does not translate into actual votes. Other political parties are facing the similar situation. I spoke to a party that hasn't even reached, uh, you know, 2,000 votes, um, a, uh, and 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 a leader of a party was saying to me that, you know, they're quite disappointed. They work so hard, um, and and the reality of it is they worked hard on social media, uh, and so and so South Africa, the South African um, voter profile um, needs to be looked at in a different way after this elections, um, and also not forgetting. Uh, you know the youth vote. So, 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 so three factors would have contributed, I would think, to this election: is how, how did people show up to vote? Whether they showed up to vote? What is voter turnout? What is the turnout of young people who don't have that historical burden of voting for a liberation party, of voting for the main official opposition? And then also to to look at whether these smaller splinter parties that are sometimes, you know, aligned to each other generally, who have just decided to form parties around person. Who, who didn't really do well, like we look at Claudia Mutsuneng's African content, uh, what is it, African content party. And so, 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 so those um, parties, you know, the voters were not, were not quite receptive to them. And so that's, it's an important to check, A, whether, you know, th- that model works, firstly, but B, did that contribute to uh, uh, the, the lowering of votes for... The, all three of the top three parties, the ANC, the DA, and the EFF, because they're all not happy with how things stand right now. As polling results begin to trickle in at the IEC's Results Operations Center, commonly known as The Rock, Freedom Front Plus has already begun to see significant growth in its national numbers. Just 32% into the current national results counting, the party now holds 3.11% of the vote. And according to the party's deputy chair in Gauteng, Philip van Staden, they hope to double in size by the end of this year's count. Well, for the end of election, we hope that we will double 
at least double up in the National Assembly and that we will double up in the Gauteng Legislature, Free State Legislature and the Northwest Legislature, that we get representative in the Western Cape Legislature as well, and that we get representative for the first time in Limpopo and Mapumalanga. That's what we want to achieve. If we get more than that, that's a bonus. Van Staden attributes the party's growth to hard campaigning and voter disenchantment with the DA's current direction. Look, we had a very hard campaign the past year and a half. Um, we went all out on ground level to collect the vote of our supporters and other party supporters, and I think we have done well on that. So we definitely take a chunk out of the DA's votes. You must remember the DA was starting a, a policy to he want to be something for everybody. And the people who was bringing them to till the election of 2040 with the party they were, they have actually neglected them. And the people find a home back in the Freedom Front Plus, and that's why they came back home and voted for us. When asked in what way the DA had neglected its constituents, he stated that the party's stances and policies had contributed. Well, there are certain issues that, that the DA neglected, like uh, the Afrikaans uh, uh, culture language policy thing that the DA have adopted. I think also contributed to that was the BEE and the Black Economic Empowerment and, uh, and, and Affirmative Action Policies of the DA. So that's uh, the main reasons why we think people came back to us. Um, we said from the beginning of, of our campaign we want to build a better South Africa into the future and not looking backwards. We must stop looking backwards, but we, we must going forward. But how you do that? You must make the country and the economy attractive for international investors to come and invest into the country. But with policies like that, you're going to have a problem to get international investors into this country. Back to Paul. A question, a question I have is something that's been on the, on the floor quite a lot in these last elections and I think um, just in the last um, the IEC announcement was around double voting yes now yes outside of the the logistics of how double d- double voting can take place and how they can rectify rectify that problem my question I have to you from a numbers perspective is even if the problem is at the worst case scenario in terms of double voting how how many votes would that be? Well, I mean, what's the worst case? 100,000? What's, what's it's a good question. And and I guess, yeah, we don't know what the worst case is. We're assuming based on the complaints so far, and there have been a handful literally, that it's a couple of isolated incidents. That there's um, A, that it, it the numbers are very low, as we you know, 5, 10, 20, maybe 50, and that there's not a coordinated, systematic attempt to subvert democracy and uh, make the election much less freer and fairer but the IC at the presser that we, we just heard Scott I think at, at uh, 2 2.30 said that they are going to appoint an independent auditor to investigate and, and how they are going to um, investigate is to conduct a random sample of voting districts and voting stations and see if this kind of behaviour has happened so we don't know how bad it could be Following concerns raised by the UDM regarding the possibility of double voting and the arrest of four suspects for double voting within the KZN district, IEC CEO Sai Mabola announced the undertaking of a sample audit aimed at determining the extent and impact of double voting. The audit is intended precisely to realize um, that position that um, lets all find our comfort about um, 
whether this thing happened and the extent to which it has happened and whether it has a material impact um, on the uh, on the result. We are speaking to some of the um, agencies uh, of the state uh, to ensure that uh, we have the necessary capacity to conclude the audit process um, expeditiously. Obviously, the Commission is concerned that we do not keep uh, the country in suspense for long. We do want the results declared, but we want those results to be declared with a measure of confidence. Mamabola explained that over and above undertaking a sample audit to ensure that the integrity of the elections was still intact, the organization would also investigate concerns around the ink used at polling stations to mark voters' thumbs. The Electoral Commission has also ordered an investigation into the effectiveness of the indelible ink marker pens supplied for the election. The investigation will be done in conjunction with the CSIR and with the full cooperation and support um, of the supplier. In an attempt to increase the effectiveness of the pens, the Electoral Commission had raised the percentage of the silver nitrate content from 15% used in previous elections to 20% of the pens that were used yesterday. Meanwhile, the capturing of results and the verification process continues and the Electoral Commission gives its assurance to South Africa that it will only announce results for elections where it is 100% confident in the integrity and legitimacy of those results. Personally, I don't think. I think it's closer to a few isolated incidences. But the short answer is we don't know. It could be bad. It could be 100,000, no, unlikely. No, I mean, look, my concern about it is, like, yes, it's a it's a logistically a, a touchy issue. It's, it's, it's a difficult issue in terms of solving it. And there's some valid questions from the other journalists on the floor around, you know, where's the where's the digital process here? How do we, like, surely it's quite, di- surely the, the voting booth should be talking talking to each other in, sense, in the sense of there's one ID that comes and votes and they go to another station, you know, they should pick up that you've already voted. Um, yes. But besides that, say, for example, worst case scenario, there's like 100,000 double votes and they do an investigation. They find 100,000 double votes. Do we actually care? Yes, of course, it shouldn't happen. But I mean, do we care from a numbers perspective? Does it actually affect either provincial or it could. national? It could. 100,000 votes put in perspective. You know, we've been talking about turnout scenarios. We said that uh, the value of a seat, given uh, the fact that we've got almost 27 million registered voters and we expect a turnout of 16, 17, 18, 19 million, it takes about 40, 45,000 votes to secure a seat in the National Assembly. So if it was 100,000 votes, we're talking two seats. Of course it's a big thing. It's a big thing for the MP who loses out on his or her job and a salary of what? So now 1.3 million. But I think there's two things. The, the first which we talked about is what is the um, direct or practical harm or damage that could be done? Someone loses out in a seat. Uh, one party is advantaged at the expense of another. But there is more theoretical or more indirect or more reputational damage if the IEC, an institution that's quite widely respected across the continent and across the world, if it could be um, implicated in not doing its utmost to ensure a free and fair election.
Okay. And that's the thing. The other Fair point, enough. your other point on technology, yes, the IC themselves said that they'd asked for new uh, hardware and, and, and new uh, technology infrastructure, you know, new zip-zip machines to make sure that the machines talk to each other and this kind of thing can't happen. But apparently the money hasn't been forthcoming from government. So that's an issue. What some people have done is is raised uh, the the possibility and, and suggested that maybe we shouldn't be voting by marking pen on paper, but we should go completely digital. On a personal level, Scott, I'm not sure that that's a fantastic idea. We've already seen internationally, I th- I'm, I'm thinking particularly in the United States, that a lot of the voting machines and a lot of the purely digital systems can be hacked, uh, there can be problems with them, and there's nothing intrinsically that makes... The digital voting system safer than a pen and paper system. Okay, well, that's something I would like to, like to get into a little bit later because I'm quite interested in the systems of voting, like you know, against this fraud. I mean, the IEC just confirmed in this last in this last uh, meeting that. Thankfully, the Russians are not behind any sort of... Uh, <laughs> oh, we've heard all sorts of conspiracy <laughs> okay. theories and um, all sorts of, of, of wild accusations from journalists who are, I think, some of them trying to stay awake and differentiate themselves from the herd, Scott. Um, okay, let's get back to the actual board. So, based on what you thought were coming into these elections, the results, I mean, um, you talked about polls a little bit, but your own views in terms of... Uh, Possible possible outcomes is is it so far on par for you or how's the ANC doing the DA doing how's the EFF doing is it kind of on par with what the polls might have suggested? In other words, was I right or wrong in yeah, my prediction? I guess so. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a fair question, and I think it's probably better to to own up to any mistakes sooner rather than later. The good news for me is that I think our um, probabilistic model, the uh, default, the house view, is not very different from what's shaking out. We had numbers for the top three parties of about 58% for the ANC, 23% for the DA, and 12% for the EFF. And what we're looking at now, according to the model and the results, is that the ANC is expected to get between 57 and 58, pretty much bang on with our forecast. The DA is predicted to get about 21 and a half, so about one and a half percentage points worse than we modeled. And the EFF is uh, looking to get more or less around 10 percent on the nose which is about two percent lower than we forecast so we were pretty much on the money with the ANC and a little bit too bullish when it comes to the EFF and the DA. And I think part of the discrepancy between what we thought would happen and what's happening, and it's not a big discrepancy, let me just uh, burnish my own reputation a little bit more while I can. Part of the discrepancy is um, what will happen with the turnout and the attraction of the smaller parties. So again, this comes back to the first part of our conversation, the big shift, relatively very big shift away from the DA towards the Freedom Front Plus. You know, we the shift looks like it's as much as two percentage points of the vote, and that's probably three or four times what we thought was possible at the top end. That's what's hurt the DA on that level. And the EFF, I think, we're just a little bit bullish, but 10% is still four percentage points higher than the party got before. And what we are seeing as well, which is interesting, is the EFF's support is broadening geographically, or for low base, but in provinces like KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape, where the party only got one or two or three percent share in 2014, it's on track to get six and seven percent. This is not amazing growth, but and it is off a low base, but it's actually it is pretty good growth. It is off a low base.
place, and it does mean that the party still got potential to grow. It means it's less and less likely that the FF is a one-election party. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, well, we'll 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 get an update. It's a little bit soon, but we'll get an update on those uh, those numbers and dig into them once we a little bit closer to the end. What do you think, Scott? I'll, I'll tell you. Is there anything that's been surprising to you? I guess I, I've bought into a, a bit of the the social media hype. But for example, the purple cow, the the Catalyst Party of South Africa. We were talking. Maybe they'd get a seat. Maybe one and a half seats. Maybe even two. It doesn't look like they're close to getting a seat. In fact, at the moment, the biggest interesting thing about the purple Car party is that it's neck and neck nationally with um, Andilin Kritana's uh, Black oh. First Land First, uh, and it's known that these two parties do not like each other. So I find it a little funny for me. I have the luxury of laughing at the fact that they're sort of fighting it out for one of the bottom spots. I don't know. I thought I thought maybe they would be doing a little bit better because they yeah because they did actually get quite a lot of social media hype in terms of their in terms of their policies in terms of yes like a pure almost tipping over into a libertarian type approach to how to how to run a society but uh, yeah but no they're nowhere to be found. Okay, so there is one thing I'd like one caveat I'd like to uh, say about what I've just said. You know, I was gloating a bit. Let me cover my own bum a bit more. We said that we almost halfway we've got almost half of the voting districts in. But those are the smaller voting districts with fewer votes. So this is part of the problem of forecasting or extrapolating too soon or too much. So there's two issues. One is that most of the votes are still coming in. And two, when it comes to smaller parties and new parties like the Capitalist Party and Black First Land First, we don't have a baseline. The CSIR model works much less well for these new parties because the model is very well calibrated to the past results of parties. We don't have any basis of comparison. And I guess I could still eat my words. We'll find out in a couple of hours if... um, Purple cows and the black first land first are closer to getting a seat. Yeah, we'll do. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. This has been the most fun part in the last day and a half. You've been listening to Final Take, a multimedia live production from the Tissot Blackstock Group, publishers of the Sunday Times, Business Day, and Financial Mail.